Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad that you are here. It is a wonderful day to worship God together. During the month of June, our sermon series has focused on what lies before us where Ben and Chris both talked about and explored and walked us through the topics of complexity, consumerism, and chaos, naming and identifying for us various aspects of such an uncertainty that are rampant in our culture and in our world, and that we are living in a world that is undergoing a cultural shift even now, where polarization, losses of institutional trust, have become so much of a norm for us. It's just part of what we expect. And that they explored for us the examples of the early church and Pentecost. They identified ways for us to live into a faith that endures in such a changing world. In the past few weeks, we have made several different and several significant transitions or changes in our own lives. The end of the school year, ask any kid, they know that was, that was coming. The first day of summer, a new month. From the season of Pentecost to the, in the church calendar to what is known as ordinary time, which is a very calming sound to it. Endings and beginnings, a constant in our ever-changing world. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every change were as easy as just flipping a calendar from June to July or swiping one of our electronic devices so that all of a sudden we're in a brand new spot? It'd be wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful to move from a period of chaos to tranquility just that quickly with just a swipe? If we could figure that out, we'd all be millionaires. But in reality, our lives are full of choices and decisions. Daily, each and every one of us faces countless choices. Some of them are very, very easy and require almost no thought of all. Some of them require a lot more thought. I mean, begin to think about some of those those choices that you have already made today, consciously or unconsciously. You've already made a lot of them. Should I get up? Or should I hit the snooze button? Should I make my bed or not? You have chosen to come to church, whether here or online. You chose what to wear. You chose whether to eat breakfast or not. You chose to follow the speed limit or not. You chose where to park, where to sit, just to name a few of the things that you have already made decisions on. And most of those you probably didn't even think about. You might have even just walked in the sanctuary, saw a spot, and sat down with very little thought to it entirely. But decisions, choices are very much a part of our lives. And how will we respond to consumerism, to polarization, to the chaos of our world? Those are choices that we have to make each and every day. There's a story told about a king and a builder. The builder had worked for the king for many, many years. And one day, the king comes to the builder and says, I want you to go into that far country, and I want you to build me a house. 
I trust you to design it well and to build it well. I trust you because I know that you have done this for me in the past. You have worked well for me in the past. For when you have finished this house, I plan to present it to a very, very important person. I want you to use the best of materials, and I will pay you well for all of your labors. And so the builder set off. He left and he went to that far country to do his work. The materials of all kinds were very, very plentiful there. But the workman began to have a few of his own ideas and choices. Surely, he thought, I know my business. I'm good at it. I can use a bit of inferior materials here or cheat a little bit of my workmanship there, a little bit here, a little bit there, and still make the finished product look really, really good. The king will pay me handsomely, and only I will know that I have built something that has some weaknesses to it. And at last, the work was complete. The workman reported back to the great king that he had finished the work, he had finished the task. Good, very good, said the king. And he paid the builder very, very well. And he says, now, remember that I wanted to make this a present, this house a present to someone very, very important? My friend, you, you are the one that I had you build it for. You have just built your own home. And in return for the, your years of labor, I present you now with the gift of this house. It is all yours. Can you imagine what's now going through his mind? The legend about a choice that was made, and I'm sure for the builder, it was one that was regretted many, many times. Some of the decisions that we make are not going to be as great an impact on our lives, while others are very, very important and very, very significant. Some of them will soon be forgotten and others will have much longer lasting effects. Still others could be the most important decisions that we will ever make. I've always been intrigued by the book of Joshua where the Israelite people faced thousands and thousands of decisions as they traveled in the desert, as they traveled in the wilderness from their time of slavery in Egypt into a land that God had promised to them. Now, you can read the book of Joshua on your own, but I'm going to just go to give you some summaries and a few of the highlights. As the book opens, Moses has just died. And the Lord has now commissioned Joshua to cross over the Jordan River and lead his people into that promised land. But before they enter, they send out spies to check out the land. And even though God has promised them victory, they must choose if and who will they believe. Will they believe God or will they believe the results of the spies? Finally, they decide they choose to cross over the Jordan River, and they are, it is reminiscent of the crossing of the Red Sea some 40 years earlier in the fact that the river miraculously parts, and the Ark of the Covenant is able to go across on dry land. They are all able to cross over in dry land, and in response, 
Joshua instructs his people. You will use these stones to build a memorial. For he has sent them back, actually, into the middle of the river and said, I want each of you 12 to grab a stone and bring it out. You will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. They will remind us forever and ever what God has done. And yet we know that following the Lord has often been a problem for the Israelite nation. This generation now in Joshua is no exception than any others. Not long after this miraculous crossing and the building of the memorial to remind them of God's provision and faithfulness, they soon return to their old ways and they learn anew that God takes sin very, very seriously. Again, as you keep looking in the, in the, in the, gospel, in the book of, of Joshua, jumping over to the 24th chapter, so we're nearing the end now of Joshua, that the Israelites had reached out and they were now at a very, very important junction in their journey. Their lives were filled with lots of choices now. But now, now they had one more decision to make that would be crucial. Joshua is at the end of his life. He's nearly 100 years old. He's had a very long and full life. He musters up every bit of ounce of energy that he has, and he gathers the nations together for what may very well be his final speech. His greatest concern before him, before he dies, is not for himself, but it is for his people and their relationship with God. They are enjoying a time of peace, a time of prosperity. They are also in a time of spiritual unsettledness. And while the majority of the people stayed true to their faith, Joshua has observed that there are times and there are some in their nation who did not believe. There were some that embraced idolatry. There were some that owned pagan ornaments. There were some that had stone idols in their homes of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. Those were those, uh, and those who remained strong in the faith became the catalyst of God in their society, while others yielded to, to, the, uh, to, to taking over the forms of the doubts and the pagan practices. They compromise themselves and their faith. And in that in-between of these two groups was a large group of Israelites who, without any kind of clear perception of who they were in relationship to God, struggled. They lived in a restlessness of indecision. Joshua stood in stark contrast to those later groups and his life pattern had been set for decades before. Moses had made an excellent, excellent decision when he chose Joshua to be his, his assistant. A choice confirmed by God. Joshua had played a key role in Exodus from Egypt. He was one of only two adults, two of the spies, or two, uh, two of the adults who experienced Egypt's slavery and lived 
to enter into the promised land. He was the only person allowed to accompany Moses partway up that mountain when Moses received the law. The faithfulness, he was faithful to God's direction in the challenges that he faced on an everyday relationship. And he was one of the 12 spies sent to look over the land, the land that was promised to them by God. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who came back with confidence that God could fulfill his promise. And yet the Israelites, and, and, and he led, uh, let the Israelites come into their God, given their homeland, the brilliant military strategist that he was, he now led them, was ready to lead them into that promised land. He was there with them, and yet he was concerned. His basic training was living with Moses, experiencing firsthand what it meant to lead God's people. He had been Moses' constant, constant shadow. This was the modeling at its best. Joshua had endured the harsh realities of the wilderness experience. He had stood firm in the test of faith. He was well qualified in the place of his own leadership. And Joshua's own life represented a wonderful contrast to the unwillingness of many of the Israelites to make a defining choice to follow God wholeheartedly. He had earned the right to be heard on this very, very important choice. And so now here he is. He stands before, uh, at Shechem, a sacred place for the Jews, before the, uh, the elite of the leadership. And it is here that Joshua gives his last address to them. Here where the generations before, Jacob had ordered all of the foreign gods held by, the, the, by all of the households to be put away, to be buried under a tree. The stone idols had been taken and buried under the oak trees here at this place. This was long before the Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians. Long before Moses had led them out of captivity, Joshua led them across the river. Now Joshua is speaking again in this sacred place to a select people, the elders, the heads, the judges, the officials. They were the ones who represented the best minds and the heart of Israel. He was gathering them there, bringing them to the point to say, remember, I want you to remember. And he calls them to reevaluate and to renew their love and their relationship to God. Joshua begins to recite history for them, to recount the ways that God has been there for them, to recount the ways that God has been there for them, to recount the history, to recount the ways, the great ways, the great things that God has done for all of his people throughout history and for their fathers and their fathers before that to recount the mighty acts of God, to remember where they have forgotten. Joshua knew his people well. Things that had been going very, very smoothly for them. They were in the promised land. The conquests were over now. It was a much easier life. 
But because they did not get rid of the civilization that was there, they were indeed surrounded by the idolatry and they were in real danger. Joshua knew how fickle his people would, would be and could be. He knew how many times they had pledged faithfulness to God before only to forget about it. He knew how weak his people were. He also knew how tempting the gods of the Canaanites and the Amorites were. He knew that how many already, how many of them had already reverted back to the old patterns, flirted with the pagan idolatry. Joshua called to remember and to decide. He calls for a decision from each person, from his people, that would help them in the spiritual, intellectual, and tomoral tra training to the restlessness that marked so many of their lives. He urges them to move beyond this time of indecision and restlessness, restlessness to a clear-cut decision for God. Fear the Lord, he says, and serve him with all of your faithfulness, not just a little bit, but all of your faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. Throw them away, the ones that they worshipped. And yet, despite all of their confessions, both Joshua and the leaders, they knew that there were indeed some of the stone idols hidden in the tents, belongings that were secretly there and that were being worshipped even at that point in time. They would say with their mouth that they worshipped God, and yet at the same time, in the privacy of their tent, they were worshiping and praying to the stone idols just to be safe. Now, if the leaders were doing this, what kind of a role model could they be for their people and those that followed them? Joshua presented them with a straightforward decision. Choose, choose this day whom you will serve. Do you want to go back to the gods of your fathers, those pagan gods whom they served? Or perhaps you want to serve the gods of the Amorites. You have a choice. Choose it. Make that choice here and now. Choose this day whom you will serve, says Joshua. But no matter what your choice is, for me and my house, we have made our choice. We are going to serve the Lord. This was a tremendous challenge to all of the tribes of Israel to consider their covenant, their promise to God and with God. Joshua had called them to get off the fence, stop being wishy-washy, stop doing this and doing this at the same time. It was time to decide one way or the other. Time to quit playing around. It's like when you come to a fork in the road. You have to go right, you have to go left. You have to choose. Many, many years ago, there was a writer named uh, Charles Sheldon. He wrote a book called In His Steps. 
And the book told the story of a community that was completely transformed when a ragged homeless man walked into a church and was shunned. And before he dies, he tells this Midwest church congregation, it seems to me there's an awful lot of trouble in this world that somehow wouldn't exist if all the people who sing such songs went out and lived them out. Wow. Truth in those words. The minister and the congregation were shocked, and they were ashamed at their own failure to help this man. They pledged to live their lives living every single day, living and asking themselves, the congregation at that point, promised that they would live their lives going forward every single day, asking themselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do? And people began to live morally, to love their neighbors, to care for the broken and the lonely, and the city was transformed as people's lives were transformed from the inside out. The story was rediscovered many, many years ago, or many years afterwards, and, and, and all of a sudden it was gathered up by a group of children who took it to heart. And it spread to children and youth throughout the country. You remember the WWJD? The bracelets, the bookmarks, everything that came out, focusing on that, asking that question. You didn't even have to say it anymore, but just WWJD, and you would remember. Signs sprang up everywhere to remind people to stop, to think, to pray. And they faced, as they faced various challenges and choices of the day. How should they behave? How would Jesus behave? How should they treat someone? How would Jesus treat someone? How should they respond? How would Jesus have responded? We also read in the book of Deuteronomy that God, after giving the Israelites the Ten Commandments, that God instructed them, these commandments I have given you today, they are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them as you sit down at home and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as, as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them in the door frames of your house and on your gates. We, each and every one of us, we need reminders. Ways to remind us of even the most obvious and perhaps even especially of the most important. In many Jewish communities and families today, there is a little piece that is on the doorpost. It contains the Ten Commandments, and as they walk in and walk out, they can touch that, they can see that, and they can remember. God gave us these laws to obey. God gave us these rules to guide us. Our phones, our calendars, they're filled with reminders of upcoming events so that we won't forget about an appointment with a doctor or a friend or a workout session or about a critical meeting at work. We need help to remember, especially as we get older and as we get busier, 
day in and day out, each and every one of us faces so many countless decisions, and some of them are important ones. We need to keep those appointments. We need to keep those choices. Others of them are not. They're not quite as important at all. But what is most important, then as now, now as then, there are so many gods in our world today. Maybe they're not stones, but they're there in our lives. They're there and they're robbing us of time and energy and faithfulness just as much as they were with the Israelites. Today, these gods that sometimes creep into our lives are much more subtle. They're gods of self, where we are more concerned about our own well-being, our own happiness. We want to put ourselves first, me first. The gods of money and things, desperately seeking to have more, to control more, to possess more and more and more. The god of power. How can I bring that power? How can I use that? over and above other people. It's no easier for us than it was for them. It's probably even harder today. It's a challenge of a lifetime, and it is a lifetime of a challenge for us. Moses chose very, very wisely when he chose Joshua to be his successor. Joshua chose very, very wisely when he chose to remain strong in the faithfulness of God. You and I are in this long chain of God's ongoing work of the world. We are modeling ourselves after others that have gone before us. And others are modeling their lives after us. And so the question becomes, how important is God to those that you want to be like? Now, only they can answer that question, but you can ask it too. It's like, are you following somebody that puts God first and foremost in their life? The WWJD fad, the bracelets, they've all gone. And yet the question of Joshua and of Shelton's book remains. For us, as for them, choose this day who you will serve. As you think about your own life, as you think about who you look up to, as you think about who you want to model your life after, who is your Moses? Who is your Joshua? Ask God to lead you to a trustworthy Moses. Ask God to make you a good Joshua as you learn and learn and discern from them to follow in the way that they are following God. Because the people after whom we pattern ourselves will have a definite effect on us. A person committed to God provides the best model for each and every one of us. Choose, choose this day who you will serve. 
This decision to follow God is a challenge, a challenge of a lifetime and a lifetime of a challenge, of, of, of a lifetime challenge for us because it doesn't just end once and forever. Every single day we have to make that challenge and make that choice. Today, in just a moment, we will be coming to the table. And as we come to the table, we come, this is another reminder for us. We come in remembrance. We come as a reminder, remembering what God has done for us, Christ's love, Christ's death on a cross, remembering God's forgiveness. We come to the table to remember to reflect on all that God has done for us in our lives. And as we come, we are again choosing new and fresh this day, this moment, whom we, whom you will serve. To follow, to grow, to walk in Jesus' footsteps, to look at others with the love of God, not with the way that humanity would say, oh, this person doesn't count, that person doesn't count, we're better than them. We are choosing again this day who we will serve, who we will follow. And as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, I want you to spend a few moments of reflective prayer, personal prayer, Perhaps you need to place, uh, to, to place a reminder in your calendar or your phone to spend time with God. There's nothing wrong with that. It's important. If you can't just do it and you can't remember to do it, make an appointment. It's just as important or more important than every other doctor's appointment and every other appointment you have. Make an appointment with God so that you'll keep it. Perhaps there is a relationship in which it is, you are strained right now and you need God's help to heal it, to change it. Perhaps there is an idol or of pride or power or selfishness, money or something else that you need to get rid of out of your house, out of your life. Now is the time to choose again and to remember, now as we go to, to prayer and as we prepare to come to the table, it is now a time to bring that to God. And I'm going to give you some silence as you pray. <laughs> 